please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at the first 30 verses this morning. And as you turn there in your Bible, if you'd stand with me and join me in prayer to ask God to bless the teaching of his word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We ask that you would bless the time in your word, that you would speak to us, that we would see accurately the giants that we're facing, and that we would see them in light of your character. Would you please set aside distractions, speak to our hearts? Would you be glorified? God, would you set me aside and give me grace and strength in teaching your word? Would your people be ministered to, fed, encouraged? In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. The theme of this chapter is this, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. This young shepherd is going to go face Goliath, this giant of a man. How could he do that? Because he understood that God was in this, that God was the one who was going to bring the victory. It's a place that we need to get into our lives as well. It's not always easy, but to understand that it belongs to God. The battle belongs to the Lord. I believe that God is still in the business of slaying giants. Do you? Do you believe that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he desires to do a work to set us free from those giants that dominate our lives? This is not just a history book. It's God's word. It's alive. It's personal. And God wants us to apply it to our hearts and our lives. Let's jump right in. Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko, Azra, and Ephesus, Daim. The Philistines come into the land of Judah, into southern Israel, God's land, to attack the children of Israel. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Three years ago, we had a chance as a church to go over to Israel, and I was able to stand in the valley of Elah, open up the scriptures to 1 Samuel 17. Lord willing, when we go in February, we'll be able to do that again. And I wish that you could all be there and picture it in your mind, because it's a beautiful setting. You've got these rolling green hills, mountain on one side, mountain on the other side, and a valley right in the middle. Unfortunately, this is not going to be a beautiful experience because it's a place of war and it's a place of conflict. It's about 15 miles outside of Jerusalem. But if you can picture this in your mind, you've got one camp on one side, one camp on the other side. They're facing each other. They're about ready to have conflict. Verse 4, And the champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose weight whose height was six cubits and a span. A cubit is 18 inches, so he's about nine feet, six inches tall. Your average ceiling in a home is eight feet tall. So if you think of your family room, he was another foot and a half above that. Just a huge, huge man. We know at different times throughout history, there's been giants, there's been these really tall men, there's some really tall guys in, in the NBA, but Goliath has them. I mean, he, he's not only tall, but he's super strong. The idea here is Goliath would come out, and he'd say, send your best fighter to come and fight me. And then whoever wins takes all. 
takes all of your soldiers and you will be servants, you will be our slaves. In some ways, it was kind of a more logical way to do a war. Instead of having hundreds, thousands of guys fight each other, huge casualties, let's just have two guys face off and whoever wins takes everything. So let's look at the armor of Goliath. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. Not the kind of mail that comes in your box, but he had this coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. This is 150 to 200 pounds, estimated how much his armor weighed. I don't even weigh 200 pounds, right? You know, here's this guy with this huge armor. So not only is he really tall, but he is extremely strong, and he's got this amazing armor that's around him. And he had a bronze armor on his leg and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now, check out his spear. Now, the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. So he's got this huge beam as his spear. And an iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a spear bearer went before him. So his spear is so big that he gets his own spear bearer to help him carry this, this giant spear that he would launch into the enemy. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. Why are you guys lining up? Are you just standing there? Send to me your best warrior. But if he's able to fight with me and kill me, verse 9, then we will be your servants. But if we prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So this is what's at stake here. For the children of Israel to be in bondage to this giant, to be captive. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Please pay attention to that phrase. All of Israel, including Saul, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. That was the influence that Goliath was allowed to have in their life. Everybody is going to see it this way except for King David. So I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes, if not, just think it through. Is the enemy's main tactic is fear and intimidation. Really, the enemy hasn't changed. The face changes. At this point, it's Goliath. But who's ultimately behind this? Satan. He's the enemy of God's people. And Goliath represents Satan, if you would. And Satan's always trying to do this to God's people to get us to live in fear and intimidation. We should be facing the giant, like King David. We should go to the giant to see God do a great victory. But instead, a lot of times, we tend to run away. We tend to hide. We tend to be in fear and intimidation. And we think that there's no possibility of a breakthrough. There's no possibility of victory. There's no possibility that this giant in our perspective could be defeated. One thing that I've been amazed over the years as we've studied the scripture is it's been perfect timing for my life and I hope a lot of times in your life as well that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and that also God's word has been perfect for us as a congregation, what we're experiencing as a church, I found it very interesting as we've been going through this worship pastor transition, we've been looking at God raising up a worship pastor with King David. I didn't plan that. That's not coincidence. That's God's working. It's God instructing us and teaching us 
about worship. What took place in our country this week? I think a lot of times the word is perfect for what we're seeing happen in our country, in our world, if we're paying attention. It got my attention. It probably got yours as well. The shooting that took place in Roseburg, Oregon. Small community college, Umpqua Community College. I was born and raised in Grants Pass, Oregon, which is just 60 miles south of Roseburg. We would drive through Roseburg on a regular basis to go to my grandparents' house. They have Umpqua Ice Cream Factory right as you come over the pass there. We would always stop and get ice cream in Roseburg. The ice cream tradition started early in my family. Like, Mom, Dad, please, let's stop and have some, some ice cream. And so when I saw this come up on, on, on the news, it really broke my heart. This is a small town. This is the kind of place that you go to escape the world. You know, Colorado Springs looks like a huge city compared to Roseburg and, and Grants Pass. These, these are beautiful places, but, but small places. A lot of these kids that were killed were just starting off their lives, 18, 19, 20 year, years old, and go to school like any other day. One girl said it was her fourth day of college, fourth day in, in class, and thinking all these aspirations that are in front of her, and here comes this, this shooter and begins to murder innocent people in cold blood. Now there's reports that have started to come out as the week has gone on. Some of the survivors have told family, and family has told uh, the media, and it's starting to unfold, that apparently the shooter asked people to stand up and asked them what their religion was. And if they said that they were Christian, then he shot them in the head. If they didn't say anything or they said something else, he shot him in the leg. And he was targeting Christians as he was doing this mass killing. So that's really caused us to think, and it's caused us to wrestle. It's a hard question to, to wrestle through. If someone's holding a gun to your head and said, are you a Christian, what would you respond? Would you be able to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? I do a call-in radio show on Fridays on Grace FM. It's called Calvary Live, where people can call in with questions. And this dear mom, she called in, and she was disturbed by all these things that are happening. And she's saying, you know, I've got two young twins. If I passed away, I don't know who would be able to raise them. My family's a mess. There's not anybody in my family that I would trust to raise them. I'm a school teacher. It hits close to home. And if someone held a gun to my head, I don't know what I would say even though I am committed to Christ because I, I think about, about my kids. And she mentioned Peter and how Peter denied the Lord and God for, forgave, forgave Peter. And I could hear the fear in her voice. And I've got to be honest with you that I went to bed this week thinking about what would I do if someone held a gun to my head and said, are you a follower of Christ? And we can all kind of think about, well, I, this is what I would do and plan it out. But until we get into that moment, we really don't know what we would do. But I think this is God's message for us that comes perfect timing from, from God's word is God doesn't want his people living in fear and intimidation. Don't let a punk 26-year-old kid cause you to live in fear and intimidation. Amen? Because Satan gets a huge victory on this. We have to see this through a spiritual lens. He gets a great victory if one guy can go into a classroom and do a shooting and kill some Christians, and then Christians throughout this country shrink back in fear. To have the same response as Saul and saying, I'm going to go back in fear, I'm going to go back in dismay, and that's not God's heart. That's not what God desires for us to do. We can't be overcome with evil, but we have to overcome evil with good. Please hear me out on this. 
the solution to this is not going out and getting a bunch of guns. That's not the solution to this. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know. Let me tell you this, I'm a gun guy. I own guns, I like guns, I shoot guns. I think guns are great for protection. I, can't, I think we've gotta allow good guys to have guns. But you know what? I'm a Christian first, more than a gun guy. And we have a lot bigger mission than to just carry guns around. Like you may feel led to carry a gun for self-defense, but that's not your number one mission. People are going to hell. People are going to hell. And God wants to embolden us to be able to love people with the gospel, to be able to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. He wants to bring people that are hurting to come to know Christ as their savior. And even though I refer to this 26-year-old that did the shooting as a punk, in my heart, I understand that he's created by God, that God loves him, that God died for him, that God wants to bring men like him to Christ as their savior. This is what I'm praying for Southern Oregon that would resound throughout the world, that there would be revival that takes place because some people stood up and they said, I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I'm a Christian, even if it might in my life. And if we're honest, a lot of us can't even remember the last time we read our Bible. It doesn't even hit us, it doesn't even affect us. People are getting martyred because they're Christians inside of our country. We're so busy, we're so calloused. We're gonna go on with our lives business as usual. You know what may even be worse than fear and dismay is total complacency. Total complacency. Wouldn't it be awesome if some people said, you know what, here are some young people that saw something that was worth living for and dying for. I don't have any purpose in my life. In the book of Acts, the church exploded when the church was persecuted. And that's what I'm praying and that's what I'm longing for. Maybe it's not something like this shooting that causes you to live in fear, but maybe it's death in another way. Cancer runs in your family. You're concerned about getting that phone call. Every time you go to the doctor's office, you've already got it planned out in your mind. They're gonna tell me I'm terminally ill. I've got this all prepared and it affects your life and God's saying, don't live in fear and intimidation. Maybe this, there's this dark cloud over your marriage and you've already planned out how it's gonna be destroyed. You live in huge fear of your spouse being unfaithful to you. you. You've already thought through how you would file for divorce and you're convinced it's gonna end in tragedy and it, the enemy's got you, that's your giant. And the great I am's here this morning saying, you know what, you don't have to live in fear anymore. You don't have to live with this doomsday of failure that's gonna happen in your heart and in your life. Sometimes with our kids, we get really fatalistic, don't we? We start thinking, well, man, they're gonna do this and they're gonna do that and they're gonna turn out this way. And we've already got them in the penitentiary in our mind and they're only in kindergarten. <laughs> they're just a kindergartner. We're like, man, I, and God's saying, don't live in fear and intimidation. Don't live in defeat. For some, it's our struggle with sin. We, we've struggled with a particular sin so much in our lives, it's become a Goliath. It's bondage. Goliath comes out in his big armor, and he says, all right, you're gonna give in to this. This is gonna be your thing. And we no longer believe that God is able to defeat the Goliath in our life. If I'm reading the scriptures correctly, 
The Goliath in our lives has already been defeated because Christ has risen from the grave. Death's already been defeated. Sin's already been defeated. And Christ can bring victory in our lives. He can bring healing in our lives. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He's bigger than that sin struggle, even though we've struggled with it for years. David's seeing it differently, but the rest of Israel is living in fear and intimidation. Verse 12, now David was the son of that Ephrite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. He got a hand to Jesse. He raised eight boys, eight boys. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. Three oldest are at battle. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul, but David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. David had been recruited to play his harp for Saul, as well as be Saul's armor bearer. He would leave this position to go back to his sheep to make sure that the sheep were well cared for. That shows the heart of David. He loved his sheep. It points to Jesus, the ultimate shepherd, the good shepherd. He loves his sheep. He loves you. He loves us. He loves being with us and caring for us. Verse 17, then Jesse said to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousands and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Take them some good food. They're on the front line. They don't have good food. And then come back and tell me news of the war. Now Saul and they and the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shot for the battle. Let me back up a little bit. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. So things are really starting to ramp up. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. So you're thinking, okay, this is going to happen today. This conflict is, is going to take place. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brother. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard him. So this was Goliath's tradition. He would come out every day in the morning and in the evening. Isn't that polite of him to do that, to make morning calls and in evening calls? He'd say, all right, guys, send out your, your best warrior. And David now hears it. It comes into David's hearing. And the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Like, have you seen this guy? He's huge. Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king, will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. That's a deal we would all take. <laughs> We would have uh, some extra boldness to go on and take Goliath. If, if I kill Goliath, my whole family gets out of taxes. This is worth it. 
I may die with Goliath, but at least I won't get taxed to death, right? So this is the reward that, that was given. You get riches, you get the king's daughter, you and your family get exemption from taxes. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistines and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Second thing to consider, second thing to write down is David understands the real battle. He says, this giant, Goliath, he's reproaching God's people. He's defying the living God. He saw this as a spiritual battle. And we have to begin to see things this way. We've got to understand what the real battle is. What's really going on in your marriage? Well, the enemy's attacking to bring a reproach to God's people. This is about God's glory. This is about God working his destiny into your heart and your life. So how could David see this differently? How could he be the one that believes that this is the Lord's battle that God can bring the victory? Because he spent time in worship. He spent time seeking God. I don't know that David set out a goal. He didn't make a core value and say, a core value of my life is I want to slay giants. He fell in love with God. He loved to worship God. He meditated upon God. And now when he came to the giant, he came to Goliath, he realized who the real giant was, and that's God. God's the one who's the giant, and Goliath is actually small. So he had the courage to be able to face Goliath. And the same will happen in our lives if we become a worshiper, a person that seeks God. Others are shrinking back in fear and intimidation, and we go, this is scary to me, but I know that it's not scary to God. God's not intimidated by Goliath. God's not going, wow, he is nine feet, six inches tall. I don't know what we're going to do with this guy. Look at his armor. I don't know if there's going to be a possibility for victory. We sang the great I am this morning in worship to God. We sang that he's our good, good father, that he's our good, good dad. The great I am, consider that for just a moment. God spoke everything into existence, spoke Pike's Peak into existence, this morning, getting to, to the church as it's getting lighter later in the day, the sun was coming up on the peak just at the right time. My two oldest daughters were with me. I was like, wow, that, that is beautiful. That's God's glory right there. God spoke Pike's Peak into existence. He can deal whatever with the Goliath is in our lives. Jesus was being arrested, and as they came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked them a question, who do you seek? He said, well, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus responded, I am. The statement of deity. I am that I am. And all of them fell onto their back. They were knocked over on their backside. Jesus willingly laid down his life. The mountains tremble at his name. The demons run and flee. The demons hate, praise, and worship at the name of, of Jesus Christ. So begin to see the Goliath in your life through the lens of who God is. The sin struggle, is God able to deal with it? Absolutely. This financial difficulty, will God be faithful? This battle with cancer, yes. This changing climate in our culture, yes. God's at work. Do you believe God's at work? God does his greatest work in the amongst of hearts of people when there's instability. When people are looking for answers, 
And God's moving and God's working and, and he is shaking, but we have to understand the real battle. Verse 27, and the people answered him in this manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Gotta love the voice of the older brother. This is like sticking it to his younger brother. Hey, what did you do with those sheep? And by the way, you've only got five. You think you're hot stuff? Asking about, about Goliath and speaking, speaking this way? And he's mocking his, his younger brother. David's not even volunteering himself. He's just understanding the real issue. He's trying to inspire holy imagination amongst God's people. Why are you allowing him to defy the people of God? Why are you allowing Goliath to bring a reproach to you? Why are you allowing him to defy the, the living God? And Eliab gets angry about this. He says, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. That's pretty rough. I know you're, you're prideful. You're just here because you're a prideful kid. You just want to see some action. You just want to see some reality TV right, right in front of you. So here's the third thing to write down this morning is critics will rise close to home. Can I get an amen? <laughs> critics will rise close to home. You know this. If you begin to walk by faith, if you begin to face the giants in your life, believing that God can bring about a victory because who he is, you're gonna have people start to speak to you that you love, that you respect, and they're gonna say things like, what are you thinking? You just need to go back to status quo. You need to quit shaking the boat. And it hurts. It's hard because it is someone that's close to us. If it's somebody that you don't know, that you don't respect, that you're not going to see again, it's still hard, but it's easier to dismiss it. They're not in the inner circle of my life. I don't know them. They don't know me. But maybe your spouse starts to criticize your heart to take steps of faith. Oh, that's going to hurt. Your brother starts to criticize. Your mom, your dad starts to, to criticize. And I want to suggest to you this morning, if you want to see the giants fall in your life, you can't listen to the critics. I always want to evaluate. Is what they're saying is from the Lord? Nope. God told me that he's going to defeat this giant, so I have to put that to the side and not allow it to sink into my heart and my life. Who else received criticism from close to home? Jesus. Mary and Joseph went on to have normal husband and relation husband-wife relationships, which results in kids. I'm talking about sex, if you don't know. That they went on to have sex. Mary did not live in perpetual virginity as some churches teach. So they had kids, the half-brothers of, of Jesus. And we find in the Gospels that they mocked Jesus, they ridiculed Jesus. Where was Christ rejected the most? In his hometown of Nazareth. Jesus said, there's a lot of things that I want to do here that I can't do because of your unbelief. Jesus understands that rejection that comes close to home. I remember when Amber and I uh, were expecting our, our oldest, Hannah, and Amber was in the last trimester of her pregnancy, and it just seems like that women with other women with their first, they, they just flock around and they want to offer words of encouragement. And it usually goes like this, like, your life is over. All that fun that you used to have, it is just gone. And it's almost like these women are living in misery and they want to pass on that misery to other women. 
And then, oh, it, it's going to be so, so hard. And Amber and I were nervous. We were scared and already feeling all of these, these insecurities. And it was just happening right and left. So finally, as these women would come up and say that to Amber, if I was there, I'd go, you know what? Thank you so much for that encouragement because we're already really nervous. And then they just, oh, 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 sorry, sorry, right? And we do it all the time, don't we? And a lot of times it's, it's well-meaning, well but criticism will come, and it will come close to home. Notice what David does. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? David's like, oh, here we go again. Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. David wasn't stopped. He could have went home from this criticism. He could have said, oh, you're right. I'd better just go back with the sheep. And if you do that with criticism, you won't see the giants fall. Oh, God will never work in your marriage. God will never bring that lost loved one to the Lord. God will never work in your financial situation. You're, you're destined to be in this place of despair. Oh, you're right. I'll, I'll just go back to what, what I was doing. David didn't do that. He didn't go back. He just moved on kept sharing what God had put upon his heart, kept speaking this message. Also, David could have tried to convince Eliab. Do you think that David wanted Eliab's support? Absolutely. This is his older brother. But he doesn't do that because critics will not be convinced. You can't sit down with them and explain, okay, this is why I think that God's bigger than, than the giant. You, you know the way to convince them? is to walk in faith, face the giant, and when the giant's defeated, they'll be convinced. When you're walking around with Dave, with Goliath's head, the critics are gonna be convinced. But it's not even worth a sit-down meeting. It's not worth, the, let's try to talk this out. He simply continues on with what God had called him to do. I believe that the message that God has for us this morning is very simple, but powerful, is don't allow fear and intimidation to dominate your life. God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And church, the time is now. The time is right now. What are you waiting for? God hasn't changed. God's ready to defeat some giants in our lives and in our culture, but we can't run away in fear. We've got to be like David. We've got to be willing to face those giants so there's a giant in your home. Face it. How do you do that? In prayer. Starting to ask God for wisdom. Starting to take action. Don't just allow the elephant to be in the room. God, this needs to be dealt with. So there's some giants at work. Start dealing with them. It's been 15 years of hiding from the giants at work. No longer. Let God do a work. Let God do a breakthrough. We know the giants that are in our lives. We know the giants that are in our culture. It's not pride and arrogance. We can't go forward in pride and arrogance. There's no way that David could defeat Goliath. We can't defeat the giants, but God can. We go in confidence of who the Lord is. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Father, this is easier said than done. A lot of times in our lives, it's so easy to go to fear and intimidation and defeat and to not see you for who you really are. And God, we just ask by your grace that you would allow us to have a fresh revelation of you, that you would stir within us that first love. Forgive us for th thinking that we've got you all figured out. Lord, we don't even have a clue 
we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of who you are. Would you give us the heart of worship like David? May we be consumed with you. Lord, I pray for the giants that are facing our country. It's overwhelming to see all these shootings take place. And we need a move of that only you can do. We need you to bring people to yourself. God, would you stir in us that you're worth living for, that you're worth dying for. Would you be gracious and merciful to us? God, would you wake up your church? Would you stir in us? Don't give up on us, God. Lord, the personal giants, the the cancer, the difficulty in relationship, the loss of jobs, the despair, the defeat that we experience with sin. Father, I just ask in Jesus' name that you would set us free, that you would break us from that place of bondage, thinking that there'll, there'll never be life outside of it. Lord, you're bigger than the addiction. Lord, you're bigger than the bondage of sin. We just wait upon you, God. We seek you.